This is the Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN New York. At 1-800-919-3776. Also via Twitter at Hardesty ESPN at ESPN NY 98 underscore 7 FM. Along with JP, we're here until midnight here on 98.7 FM. Thank you for joining us on this Sunday night. What an exciting game for the Islanders, huh? But that's to be expected. They always seem to play these really close one-goal games against the Flyers, and they come out and win another one. As a matter of fact, pretty good day for the New York hockey teams. Rangers beat the Devils again earlier today. Um, at uh, <clears throat> Excuse me, earlier today. I'm sorry. And, of course, the next one. So let, let's, let, let me just tell you this right now. I am in a very good mood. Knicks win. Mets win on the road. Take back-to-back series. I'm feeling pretty good right now. Let's start with the Knicks. And I expected that this was going to be a really tough game with New Orleans today. Oh, I, I knew it was going to be. And I think you're starting to see a little bit of what Zion Williamson can do. Yes, obviously, and there's been a lot of conversation about him needing to get himself in better shape and everything, and he will do that. He will make adjustments to his body. And he will eventually, it will be better for him as his game becomes more versatile. He is really a load around the basket. Okay, he is a load around the basket. But as he stretches his game out, and not necessarily the three. Of course, everybody wants big guys to shoot the three. Not necessarily the three. Give me 10, 12-footer. Give me something like that where he can consistently hit that shot. I think that will make him very, very tough. That's a good team. That's a really good team, and they're going to get better. But for me, what the Knicks did in this game today was fight and fight and fight. And that's no surprise because that's what they do, right? No Alec Burks. To the point that you got to see Kevin Knox in the rotation. So much that you got to see because of foul difficulties. More Frank Nilakina in the rotation. And how about Derrick Rose, who played 35 minutes today 35 and obviously what can you say about Julius Randle got off to the slow start but still 33 points in 47 minutes uh, 9 of 10 from 3 9 of 10 from the free throw line 2 of 8 from 3 not not as hot three point wise as you would like as has he as he has been previously but listen Great win for the Knicks. Uh, did they fall into some habits not getting back in transition? Yes, they did. Did they have some issues off the boards? Yes, they did. But they found a way to win. They take it to overtime, and in overtime, they found a way to win. So, listen, that that is what you expect from this team. This is a nice win, and they need to stockpile them because, as you know, we're heading towards when that that schedule gets tougher and tougher and tougher. A couple of weeks away from May. 
And oh boy, there's a gauntlet in May that they've got to deal with. 1-800-919-3776. When we return, we'll hear from Zion Williamson, and we'll also hear from Stan Van Gundy, and you next on 98.7 ESPN. The Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. Rolling on a Sunday. Here we go. one 800 919 Rich Catino will join us at the bottom of the hour. We'll get his, uh, an update from him on how the Mets are doing as they uh, come off a couple of series. And then at 11 o'clock, we'll be joined by Kristen Winfield of the Daily News. He's the beat guy, covers the Brooklyn Nets for them, also the NBA. And obviously, you know, hopefully nothing serious, but Kevin Durant had to leave the game today after really getting off to a great start, right? But he had eight points in four minutes. <laughs> when he's on the floor, he's just been dominant, hasn't he? When he's able to play, there's just like there's there's no answers for him, none. He just can't seem to stay on the floor. So hopefully this will be just because it's a thigh bruise and they will reevaluate him tomorrow. And hopefully he'll be able to get back into the lineup. But uh, tough loss for the Nets as they played very well without two of the big three, which is normal <laughs> for them. Christian Winfield will talk about that at 11 o'clock. Right now, let's talk to you at 1-800-919-3776. Before I get to the phones, let me just finish my Nick thoughts. Very quietly for me, and I I wasn't sure because I just felt that this guy was going to be an addition. This guy was, uh, this player was, you didn't really need him. And he's it's been injury prone, and I didn't know what you could expect from him. But I'm telling you, Nerlens Noel has been a godsend for this Nick team. His ability to protect the rim, I mean, his shot blocking ability, rebounding, a couple of baskets here and there. He's been he has anchored this defense, and he's done a tremendous job. And he, along with uh, Gibson, has been just incredible they've been incredible they have been incredible for what they've been able to do to try to erase when 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 you know when players happen to get by you and this is the nba they, it's going to happen right it's going to happen he's done a nice job of giving them some competition meeting them at the rim some challenges all right enough of me let's talk to you 1-800-919-3776 let's go down to sunny florida spike lead us off the great Jackie Gleason. How sweet it is. <laughs> oh, man. Nerlens Noel's last he had two block shots. Huge. I haven't seen that in a long time. One at the rim like that. Oh. But I got to tell you, I got to tell you, I was telling my wife, I said, I thought you were going for someone else. It's okay. No, Nerlens deserves everything. Mm-hmm. Derek Rose. Has been, oh, he's Derek been Rose has been a godsend. He has been. <laughs> He has been. There's no question he, about it. Yeah. Gravity. In yeah. the park, in the schoolyard. How does Lonzo Ball get any sleep? Because Stan Van Gundy going to be over him like a cheap suit all night. <laughs> I My know. God. I know. What was he thinking, Larry? I don't know. I don't know. 
Him, I mean, him and Lonzo Ball. Look, you know, and Lonzo Ball, too? You know, Bullock, I'm saying Lonzo Ball, what was he thinking? Stay yeah. home, for God's sake. Yeah. You learn yeah. that when you're in sixth grade. <laughs> Right. Derek Rose, the look on his face, man. Watch it again. The look on his face, man. His eyeballs popped out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I great. said it's over then, and then they got to go through the overtime. But uh, I was telling Jacob or two, and I got on Colin. And Colin was, well, if you didn't hear or listen to it, if it was a podcast, Colin was just reveling about how much fun this is to watch it is we've waited a long time man oh, it, is. Time. it is yeah it i'm is. just thrilled thrilled and mr knox gonna have some explaining to do after uh he got uh sacked by uh zion williamson <laughs> he ripped the ball right out of his hands man. he's not but, gonna have any uh, explaining to do not, he, yeah. hey, hey spike yeah. you have no explaining to do he'll be back on the bench he'll be okay <laughs> yeah, there'll be you don't that's why that's why my buddy from CCNY said the same thing. He, he Tibbs ain't taking a guy that don't play D. You gotta play D, you, you get no burn. It was just a great game, an unexpected was. victory, and this team blew some games in the beginning of the year. Listen, RJ Barrett, you know how I've been with him. He don't play like a twenty year old and he's loose with the ball and he's trying mm-hmm. to bully his way to the basket. He had five or six turnovers. But he, in the beginning of the game, he was hot, and you're getting him the ball, and he's in the right spot. It's fun to watch the Knicks. It's really fun. I'm going to watch him like you, no matter what. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I had as good a day watching the Knicks that I've had in a long, long time. And uh, it's either Knowles or Rose. Think of the guys he's reclamated, and he's got the Julius Randle. The game before this, I didn't get to talk to you. Oh yeah, he put yeah. on a shooting. He put on he a did. shooting drill. He did. It was amazing. Against was Dallas, it was amazing. Of, did the ball come out of his hand any smoother than that? No, man. Mm-hmm. He had the. He was. Boy, he was happy to be home. <laughs> he was happy to be home and the cooking, but but he was run. He was outside the three point line, just going from spot to spot like the shooting drills. Yeah. And uh, it's just great to watch. I, I'll listen to the program. I'm waiting all day for this after the game, and uh, Collins elated, you're elated, and uh, bring him on, because Collins said it the best, and I'm sure you'll agree. If we get the right spot, look, we're not beating the top three. Eh, forget about mm-hmm. that. And Boston's right. been hot, but uh, I'll take them on. I'll mm-hmm. make it rough for them, because this team has no quit in them. Right. No quit. And nope. you can't ask for more. No, you really, really can't. You just need, you, have a you good, just need Have a good weekend. You too, my friend. Thanks, Spike. You just need for them to just just tighten up little things, okay, that will kill you in the postseason. Just have to tighten up little things. And, and the little things that we've talked about, like Alfred Payton, you got, you got to finish at the basket. You made great moves to get to the basket. Great job on Friday night against Dallas. Getting to the basket with ease, with ease. Layup, nice layup today. Struggle. Two of eight. Not, you know, got to finish. These games you have to finish because – when you get to the postseason, these teams are not going to let Julius Randle beat them. They're just not. It's going to have to be somebody else. It's going to have to be the R.J. Barrett's. It's going to have to be the Derrick Rose's. It's going to have to be, you know, the, the Nerlens Noel's and, and the Bullock's and the Burks. These are the guys who are have, going to have to come through. And the Quickly's. These are the guys who are going to have to come through. And... Uh, you know, help help uh, Julius Randall out because yes, he's going to have his points, but he needs help. 
He definitely, definitely needs help. Davidson Cormack. Hey, David, you're next on 98.7. Hey, Larry, how are you? I'm good, David. What's about up? your thing about the Knicks. What a surprise that would be if the Knicks play the Nets in playoffs and they end up knocking off the Nets. <laughs> that would be a surprise. What a shock that would be. It would be. After it all the be. moves that that team made yeah. to improve, and then yeah. the Knicks knock them off. Yeah, it would be hard though, David. They, the, the Nets have the, the Nets have immense talent if they can get it on the court at the same time. Yeah, but you got Kevin Durant, who's basically in his rocket chair uh, around the court. Yeah, he he's had a tough regular season. There's no question. But really, for them, the whole thing has been make sure he's ready for the uh, for for the postseason. And so even if the, even if he plays one or two more games, they don't care. They just want him healthy for the postseason, David. But my other question is, mm-hmm. based on the moves as far as trades that the Islanders made, do the Islanders realistically have a chance of winning the Cup this year? I think so. I think, so. think so. Oh, yeah, I definitely do, David. Thanks for the phone call. I think so. They've added depth to their lines. They've got goaltending that, that's been very good. Uh, need some more work as I've been and not just watching games here and there. Need some more work on the power play. They need to take advantage of that because, you know, it's huge when you have those opportunities in the postseason. Because, David, you know, people don't like people don't like to have penalties in the postseason. They don't the, those games are too close. That you're you're thinking about giving you know, giving the odd man giving the odd man advantage. You don't want to do that. But uh, no, there's no question. Talent wise, definitely. They definitely have a chance to win the Stanley Cup. Ralph is in Lakewood. Hey Ralph, you're next on ninety eight seven. Hi, how are you, Larry? Good, Ralph. What's up, my friend? Explain to me, okay? Explain to me why I should still follow baseball. I haven't seen a single in three years. I haven't heard, saw a stolen base in the last five years. Oh, you didn't watch the Mets game The Yankees today, are so bad. The Yankees yeah. are horrible. Well, of course, because all their players know how to do is hit home runs and strike out. The game is boring. Okay, they take out the starting pitchers after four innings. They think they know the future of these managers with all these dumb numbers. They think it's like some, like, website or, like, some business they're running with. All the numbers and yeah, this in the past, he hit this against this guy, so this is going to happen now. It's, it's, I want you to explain to me why I should still watch the game, watch baseball. The Yankees in 2003, 2004. That was a team. That was fun. Brocious, Posada, Bernie, O'Neill. They are so boring now to watch. It is, it, it is. And I'm not only saying it because of this year. I'm going back the last couple of years already. This home run or strikeout mentality has totally ruined the game for me. Analytics, everyone loves a money ball. I think that is a destruction. That's what I think. I know you're going to yell at me. No, I don't. No, I'm not going to yell at you, Ralph. You to... No, Ralph, you're wrong. I am not going to yell at you. You are not totally wrong, my friend. Because all the, the radio call. guys say, no, I don't. No, you're deal. not totally wrong. No, you're not totally wrong. Here's what I'll say, Ralph, and thanks for the call. When you talk about numbers, to be fair, that managers have always done that. I mean, that's why Girardi was called Joey Loose Leafs. <laughs> you know, managers have all, when you go back forever, Managers have always kept certain stats about how players performed in certain situations. They always have. The thing that has taken it to another level now, which has taken it out of the manager's purview, is the fact that you've got 
analytic folks who are saying that you are scheduling to give players days off like at the beginning of the season. Like they sit down and they go through the season and say, well, if he's going to play here, play there, well, you should get the time off here because he'll be fresher down the stretch or he'll be fresher in the postseason or he'll be fresher in this under these scenarios. So I think that's the issue that you have, number one. Number two, let's face it, um, that's that's baseball now. Everybody, it's long ball. It's about launch. It's about exit velo. It's about launch angle. It's about, uh, you know, how balls leaving the ballpark. And that's the way it's been for the past couple of years. And the reason you're not seeing a lot of singles is because now with the shifts, balls that would have found the hole are not finding the hole because there's defenders there now. So there's just a whole change of how this game has become. You talk about the Yankees in four innings. The reason why the Yankee pitchers are going four innings is because of pitch count. Pitch count and the fact that they haven't been able to consistently get players out and unfortunately, it's put a tax on their bullpen. So there's a number of issues going on with the Yankees, but I do understand what you're saying. You are not alone. There's a number of people who are unhappy with the way the game is played today. Uh, I do think, though, that you're starting to see uh, sacrifices and bunting and stolen bases only in the scenario of where you have the extra inning situation where you've got the runner on second. And teams are trying to move that runner over to third with less than with less than two out to see if they can get the run in. So I think that element of baseball is starting to come back. But that's the way baseball is now. And eventually this will change and it will go back a little bit. And I think it's going to go back either sooner or later, depending on what Major League Baseball does with the baseball. Okay, so you heard them say that they were deadening the ball. And so why would you deaden the ball? And then you've got, you know, teams building their franchises with home run hitters like the Yankees are doing. And, yeah, I hear what you're saying about them strike home runners striking out. It's great previously, and we know they struggled this year, but previously they've done a nice job during the regular season of being very entertaining. They've scored a ton of runs. Postseason, not so much. And the reason, obviously, is because you have a better caliber of pitcher because you have better caliber teams that you face in the postseason than you do the regular season. Hey, Jets Nation, get back to football this season at MetLife Stadium from the comfort of your very own luxury suite. You'll experience a Jets game day like never before, including VIP hospitality, reserved parking, a dedicated interest, and a private outdoor patio space in your suite. You can now also leave a deposit for single-game rental. Lock in your suite today at nyjets.com suites or call 1-800-469-JETS. Hardesty on a Sunday on 98.7 ESPN. Time to talk Mets, and for that, we turn to our Met beat guy, does a great job for us. He is Rich Catino. Hey, Rich, welcome. Hey, Larry. How are you tonight, my friend? I'm doing good. Thank you, sir. Uh, Rich, let's talk a little bit about this series and how the Mets have started. And the interesting thing to me is that I was, to be honest, a little concerned because, I mean, all these 
off days and rain and snow and <laughs> all these different things. And I think they've managed it well. And in looking down the road, Rich, I'm still a little concerned at the amount of double headers that this may cause later in the season. But for right now, I'm pretty happy with a 7-4 start. I think everyone should be. I mean, when you think about it, they're 7-4 and four with all the things you mentioned, whether it be COVID, uh, cancellations of games, or weather. And plus, add to the fact, two games Jacob DeGrom pitched, they lost. And yet they're 7-4. and four. And that, that speaks a lot, I think, to the resiliency of the team. I think it speaks to their focus. I think it speaks to Louis Rojas and how he prepares them for games. And I think all of that is, you know, part of the process of what we saw. And the other part of it, I think, is how Sandy Alderson constructed this roster. And to be quite honest with you, he constructed it much better than his counterpart in the Bronx. And I think a big part of that we saw today. You know, everyone was talking in the offseason, you got to sign JT Realmuto. you got to sign JT Realmuto. Now, I'm not here to disparage Realmuto. He's an all-star catcher probably a better hitter than James McCann. But we saw why the Mets signed James McCann today, the way the game ended. Defensively, he's a stalwart behind the plate. He's got a good arm. He communicates with pitchers well. I think he'll hit more for the Mets fans than they think, including the long ball we saw earlier in the week in the Philadelphia series. But I think that Sandy thought through the process well in the offseason Instead of getting arms that were injured arms, he went out and got the walkers of the world. He signed the qualifying offer to Marcus Stroman. Building depth in the rotation, building depth in the bullpen, building depth on the bench. Jonathan Villar has won two games for the Mets already in his brief playing time coming off the bench. So those things are all positives and all reasons why they're 7-4. You know, it's interesting, Rich, because when I think of Sandy Alderson, I kind of I don't know how I look at him in the sense of, philosophy right as far as spending money on free agents because when I think of him I think of him predominantly as a background with the money ball A's and and that he's been able he understands what it takes to you know add to your bench and add depth with talented but you know not expensive players and so you know I'm not going to lie to you I want to be a Muto <laughs> but but McCann has has done a nice job and as you mentioned today especially defensively which is which is a major thing uh, for this team, and and you know you know we're we're similar in our thought processes, where you really love to be strong up the middle, and um, you know they're better at catcher than they were last year. There's no question about that. They're better at catcher. They're better at shortstop defensively than they were last year. Although I think the shortstop they had last year that they traded to the Indians is pretty good at short. They're better at second base because McNeil is an upgrade over Cano, mm-hmm. and they're better in center field. And I think Brandon Nimmo, one of the things I heard all offseason was Nimmo doesn't have the range and the numbers indicate he's, you know, let's balls over his head. I One thing I know about Brandon Nimmo, he's a really hard worker. He's an eminently coachable player. He's very open about his deficiencies and wants to correct them. And he spent all winter trying to correct them. And I think one of the, the two things that I saw most deficient in him defensively last year in center was the ball hit right at him and the ball's hit near the wall. And today we saw that improvement. He made a nice catch at the wall today. And from what I see, he's playing well defensively. So I think third base defense is another issue. You know, they have to figure out if J.D. Davis has improved his game enough, and we just haven't seen enough of him, at least in the regular season yet. 
but they have other options at third base defensively. Um, I, I really think the Marcus Stroman, you know, energy that he brings to the team and the quality pitching he gave, you don't see many two-to-one games in Coors Field, Larry. I know I haven't seen no. too many. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and that's the kind of game they had to win today, and they won it because Stroman gave the innings of one-hit ball, and we got a taste the last two days of the Edwin Diaz that we saw in Seattle in 2018 and how explosive he can be and how dominant he can be. And that's something that I think Luis Rojas and Jeremy Hefner have worked at getting him his confidence back. They got a little of it last year after the disastrous 2019, but I think we've seen what he's capable of doing the last two nights. And I don't know about you, but I was, I was very impressed with what I saw on how he attacked the big hitters in that Rocky lineup and really dominated them. Yeah, it was it was nice to see because uh, you know, Rich, I got to tell you, I'm I'm he, he showed something last year. You are absolutely right, but um, you know, I, I'm he's got to earn my trust. He's got to do a little bit more to earn my trust back. <laughs> <laughs> I know Larry's circle of trust. One thing I know about Larry Hardesty's circle of trust, <laughs> it's hard to get in it, but once you're in it, you're in it for life. So I'm sure he'll be patient with you. I hope he will be. Rich Cotino is our guest. You're listening to the Larry Hardesty Show here on 98.7 ESPN. Rich, let's talk about it. You mentioned Marcus Stroman, and listen, I give him a lot of credit for taking the ball after the nine-pitch inning that he had, and he's looked phenomenal. And back and following DeGrom, listen, they've got a nice one-two punch, and when Syndergaard comes back, this this team could be have one of the best starting pitching staffs in uh, in baseball. Not to mention when Carlos Carrasco comes back. Mm-hmm. And then not to mention when Seth Lugo comes back and joins the bullpen. So those are things that I think are a little bit down the road. But I, I certainly think what Stroman has done, his game's improved on the mound because he basically was a sink ball pitcher. We saw a lot of sinkers today and sliders down low in the strike zone. But he's now got that four-seam fastball that rises to the top of the strike zone. And now I think when you face Marcus Stroman, there's a whole ton of things you have to worry about in the box. Am I going to see the high fastball? Am I going to see the slider? Am I going to see the sinking fastball? And he mixes it all up. He does his homework on his hitters. He's a tremendously gifted athlete. We saw that today in the defensive play he made. But I think he also brings energy to this team, much like Lindor has. And mm-hmm. if, you, if you give some truth serum to players in that med clubhouse, they'll tell you that both Lindor and Stroman have become big-time leaders in that clubhouse as well as McCann very quickly. And the players rely on interaction from them to let them know when they got to do something different and also to put their arm around them and tell them, you know, we might, you might be in a slump, but you'll come out of it. And those three players have done a lot of that this year for the Mets. They really have. And, you know, that – it's great to see players get an Im- have an impact as soon as they join the club. And listen, Francisco Lindor, you, you knew you were getting an upgrade defensively. You know the numbers offensively that last year was, uh, you know, you can't really count on last year. It was such a weird season. But he is slowly but surely, you can see the impact and, and his, his fingerprint is all over this ball club. It really is. And I think that, you know, when you watch a game live, you see – how he helps position players. Um, and I'll talk, I'll talk to you a little bit about that in the game against the Phillies this week where 
Aaron Loop comes in and D.J. Gregorius is up and he gets a double play ball, I noticed right before that play that Lindor not only moved a little closer to the bag, but he made sure his partner at second base, Jeff McNeil, moved closer to the bag. Mm -hmm. So he was expecting a ground ball up the middle. And it's because of years of watching Gregorius playing against him when the Indians would play the Yankees and also the homework and the film study that Lindor does. So all that, I think, contributed to making that a little easier play to turn the double play and, and made Aaron Loop a happy guy because his first uh, appearance as a Met wasn't the greatest in Philly, and he got a big double play ball there, and I think it's kind of turned his mindset around too. So there's so many little things that Lindor does that, you know, help this team. And I think, you know, you know how I feel about baseball, and I think you and I feel the same way. A lot of little things equal big things in a hurry, and I think we've seen that from Lindor so far this year. Even though he's not hitting yet the way he's capable of hitting, just like Pete Alonso isn't and Jeff McNeil isn't and Conforto isn't, they haven't had that big game where they put nine or ten runs up on the board. You know what's coming. Mm -hmm. But I think that they have the will to win games when everything isn't going well, and we've seen that from the Mets, and I think that Lindor's leadership is, is a big part of that. It's going to be interesting, uh, Rich, over the next 10 days. Uh, the Mets have an off day tomorrow. Then they go to Chicago. They got three with the Cubs. Then they come back home, three with Washington, two with Boston. This is going to be an interesting stretch, and it's a stretch also that we finally get a chance to see Lucchese, who I'm interested to see. Yeah, and I think that, you know, I think it's interesting because, you know, they've pretty much played divisional opponents other than the Rockies thus far this year. They lost the series to the Phillies, the opening series in Philly, but they swept three straight from them coming back to New York. Be interesting to see seeing the Nationals for the first time. And the Red Sox are off to a great start, and that's kind of a surprise. So mm -hmm. I like to get a view of that team to see what's going well for them as well. But I think it is an interesting stretch for the Mets. But I also think it's a stretch the Mets hope they're not going to get any of these stop and starts that they got. And apparently the weather report in Chicago isn't great on Tuesday. So mm -hmm. Who knows after the day off what the Mets are going to be facing come Tuesday or Wednesday. But I do think that, you know, baseball players are creatures of habit, and the Mets are hoping that they can get, you know, to every day, play every day so that you can get into those habits on how you prepare for a game and kind of get into a routine. And they haven't been able to do that yet, but yet they're still sitting atop of the NL East. And i got to think that's a little frightening for some of the other teams in the NL East that – there's so many things that haven't gone right for the Mets. They're not really hitting the way they're capable of hitting yet, yet they're sitting in first place. And I think that, that if I was the Nationals or the Phillies or the Braves, that would be a little frightening to me right now on evaluating the Mets. Last thing, Rich. I, I hear what you're saying, but I, I still I have a lot of respect for Atlanta. And I still I, – obviously you don't count anybody out so early, but I, I know they go off to the slow start, but I just think at the end they're going to be right there. I do, and, I, and I, I thought coming into the season that the Mets and the Braves were the two best teams in the division, not by a lot, but I thought that they were slightly better than both the Nationals and the Phillies. And I thought we might see a rebirth of that Met-Brave rivalry we saw in the late 90s, which would be great to have another good rivalry in the National League. We know what we got on the West Coast with the Dodgers and the Padres, but mm -hmm. I think that, you know, I thought we might see a rebirth of that because that was a – that was a great rivalry. Two teams didn't like each other much. Two managers didn't like each other much. And that usually creates a good rivalry. You had John Rocker. You had 
Piazza, you had Chipper Jones, you had a lot of names there. And I have a lot of respect for not only the Braves roster, but Snickers, an amazing manager. And, and I'm looking forward to the first time the Mets play the Braves because I have a feeling we might see a return to that rivalry we saw in the late 90s. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that as well. Rich Gatino covers the Mets for us. You can also read him at the New York Extra. Rich, always good talking to you, my friend. We'll talk soon. Stay well, Larry. We'll talk real soon. All right, very good. Well, uh, certainly not happy. Um, you know, I'm, it's not happy. It's Gary Cole. He's not happy either. Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN, 1-800-919-3776. Yankees, after losing today, have lost a season-high five straight games. That's their longest losing streak since September 4th through September 8th of of uh, 2020. 0-3 on the five-game homestand and 2-10 and in their two and eight in their last 10 games. And, you know, once again, he was – look, they got off to the lead today. Aaron Judge with a nice solo home run to get them started. You're, you're feeling good. You got Garrett Cole on the mound. Um, he, you know, he made one. And the errors, and the, they're just not playing well. I mean, there's just a lot of things. It's, it's, like, a, it's like a snowball. <laughs> there's a bunch of different things that the Yankees just aren't doing. When, when they hit a little bit, they don't field. When they field a little bit, they don't hit. When the, when the starters pitch well, they go to the bullpen, the bullpen doesn't. When the starters don't pitch well, they come out of the bullpen, the bullpen has to try to hold them on for five, six innings. Nothing is going well for them right now. Nothing. Danny's in Long Island. Hey, Danny, you're next on 98.7. Good morning. How are you today? It's hey, a good Danny. evening still. So I'll be, I'm, working, I'm working the overnight, so I'm already thinking about the morning. I got you. Been there. A couple of quick ones. Listen, uh, I just want to touch on the Islands before I get to baseball. Sure. I, I, they got a good team. I'm an Islander fan. They're scrappy. They're well disciplined. I don't know if they score score enough to win. I mean, they just they just they just don't have the, the ability to fill up the puck in the net, and I think that's going to come back to haunt them. They're a good team. Uh, let's hopefully have a nice run, but uh, I got my fingers crossed. And I think the Nets have a better chance of getting to get into the the NBA final, and the Islanders have to get to the. Uh, but it'll be a great. Uh, it'll be a great. Uh, take me back to my youth when I watched uh, Dr. J win the ABA championship. Yeah, the same right that? around when the Islanders winning uh, cups. But as far as the Yankees are concerned, I'm a Mets fan, but I watch all the games. Mm-hmm. You know, they have all these great stats now that mean nothing to us people from the 20th century. I was watching the game the other day, and the bottom of the screen said some pitcher broke a record by allowing the most high velocity hits in one inning. I thought, what the hell did I just see? What was that? Now we're keeping track of how fast the balls go. Was there weren't hits, they were just struck. So what the Yankees don't do is what baseball teams have done forever if you want to be a winning team. Good interior defense mm-hmm. and good timely hitting. There was a sequence the other night uh Gary Sanchez swung for the fences on an O two pitch and O'Neill said, you know, that's not that's not an O two pitch. That's not an 0-2 swing. You got to choke up. You got to put the ball in play, Gary. You got to. In the next inning, Wendell comes up. This guy who did the Yankees have a guy like Wendell? No, they don't. They don't have a guy like Wendell that the Rays have. He gets up. He's got a two-strike pitch. The guy throws a breaking ball on the outside part of the plate. He's a lefty hitter, and he just. To me, I saw. I just saw Rod Carew. The bat just flicked out. And he flicked the ball into left field like a little tennis player could have hit the ball any better for a single. And then he turns today and hits a home run. So, timely hitting, solid defense, 
the Yankees aren't playing solid defense. They're playing horrendous defense. They are. Frazier today got 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 off the hook when they didn't score the run, but he he he, he must he looked like a little league. He caught a fly ball and threw it to the pitcher's mound, and, and Derek Cole looked completely frustrated that he had, that he that the ball was thrown to him. So they they're doing everything wrong. But the bottom line is, there's about 140 something games left, and you know what. Yeah, know the Yankees need they need like a three or four game homestand against the uh, Baltimore Royals. It's <laughs> that'll coming. get everybody. You know, <laughs> that'll get everybody feel. That'll get everybody feeling good. But they got too many people swinging for the fences. I don't care what Stanton's stats say. Stanton is not a complete player. He can be pitched to. I don't think anybody's scared of him. You, you know, you throw that curveball on the outside part of the plate. He waves at it. I mean, I know he hits one 450 feet once a week, maybe twice at best. But at the end of the year, you're 30 home runs and you're 70 RBIs. They don't mean anything because you see. You need a couple of hits in between. You can't. You're not. You're not you don't play defense. You can't do this. They're just. But they, like I said, time is on their side. As the Mets are concerned, the funny thing is, I watched the Mets game and yeah, the Mets keep winning, but they don't look as good as a team that their record is. So they, you know, yeah. because they're not hitting enough yet. They, mm-hmm. They're getting good, solid pitching. Like it's all been covered here. The bullpen's been great recently. I mean, how happy were you for Degrom yesterday? I mean, my God, oh, that guy please. looked like he was having nervous. Breakdown is sitting in the dugout when he had to leave 14 or 15 strikeouts in six innings. And I'm very happy in baseball. There's one person I'm happy for. It's Nemo. Because Nemo looks like he, he hustles after everything. He runs down to first base. He looks like he's aware that he's getting paid millions of dollars to play a kid's game. Mm-hmm. And he's just happy to be there. And he's, you know what? Sometimes you've got to give a guy a few years to figure it out. I mean, this is not, you know, and now all of a sudden he, he's getting timely hitting. He hits with a little power. Defense is adequate, and I'm happy for the guy because you know what? He looks like he's enjoying it. Like he worked hard. He wasn't sure if he was going to make it. Stanton, some of these guys, they look like they got the weight of the world on their shoulders. They're not and having they do, any fun. Danny. And they do. They do. They Thanks do. for the phone call because they know that they're under pressure. They got to win. It's home run. It's it's home run. Well, yeah, kind of home run or bust, but it's worse than it's a bust for them, and they haven't been there. And won since 09. Okay? And I said earlier, Judge with the home run, obviously it wasn't with Stanton. But they're not playing well. And guess what? They know they're not playing well. And Boone has had several conversations and nothing's working. Boy, do they need an off day tomorrow. They really do. I don't know if it's going to, I don't know if it's going to help them anyway, but I think the biggest thing that has surprised me, because hitting comes and goes. You can go in bad streaks hitting. It comes and goes. But it's the fielding. The defense is just awful. I did not expect their defense to be this bad. I really didn't. Terrence is in Brooklyn. Hey, Terrence, you're next on 98.7. Larry, how you doing today? I'm doing good, man. What's up? All right, listen, uh, I'm a longtime Mets fan, but I want to uh, kind of uh, put my emphasis on the Yankees now. Mm-hmm. Now, we knew uh, long before spring training started that the Yankee pitching staff, there were question marks there. Yes. You're trying to tell me that this management, and I put this all on Cashman, you're trying to tell me that, all right, you got Derek Cole, that's cool. But you knew you had to get maybe another uh, quality pitcher or two to solidify this pitching staff. You're trying to tell me that you couldn't get a maybe a Blake Snell or any of the other pitchers that were available, all right, to come in and fill that void. Well, Terrence, I'm sure that Tampa was not going to send Blake Snell to the Yankees. <laughs> I don't think that was going to happen. And once again, you yeah, have to you, look at you know what I mean, though. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. But you, you, once again, you have to look at the fact 
and thanks for the phone call, that they were under this salary constraint this year. And so there were some pitchers that maybe they were interested in as free agents that they couldn't get. And they rolled the dice. And listen, Tyon and Kluber may work out. They're not starting well, obviously, but they may work out. And I think the Yankees felt that they could roll the dice on these pitchers because they would have enough hitting to cover them. So all they would need to do is to go five, six innings, and then they would go to their bullpen. So I think that was their thought process. And right now, they're not getting the hitting. And so it's really put it, and they're not pitching well. But, you know, once again, it's early for them. It's it's early. I know it gets early late. I know all the all the cliches are going on about this team because they're just not playing well. And then and there's really not one thing that you look at on this team that makes you feel if you're a Yankee fan, there's not really one thing that you look at to say, okay, well, at least we're doing that. At least we're getting, you know, uh, solid hitting from Sanchez. At least we're getting, uh, you know, Torres is better than he was last year. At least we're getting, you know, something. You, you're not getting that. The only thing you're getting is, is frustration. That's the only thing you're getting right now. The only thing you're getting is the fact that uh, nothing is working for you and you're losing games. And it's frustrating because you're losing to Tampa and you're losing to Toronto. And these are divisional opponents. So you're you're very frustrated, and I can understand it, and 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 can see it, and that's the issue that's going on with the Yankees right now. And once again, they just aren't—they're not playing well at all. I mean, at all. I mean, you know, uh, an error again today for them, and it's just—it's—it's really—it's really—they're just not playing well. I know I keep saying the same thing over and over again, but they aren't. And now that after tomorrow's off day, they got a two-game set with Atlanta, and you got Tyon and Kluber going, and you're not sure what you're getting from them. I mean, both of them, Tyon's ERA is over seven and a half, and Kluber's ERA is over six. So I don't know what you think you're, you know, you can't be, you can't be overly confident going into the game against you know, with those guys, you can't be. You just can't. You don't know what you're going to get. You are listening to the sounds of the Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. Hour number two, Sunday night edition of the show. Thanks for stopping by at 1-800-919-3776. Also via Twitter at Hardest ESPN at ESPN NY 98 underscore 7 FM. This was a tough one. This was a tough loss for the Nets today. Christian Winfield, who covers them for the Daily News, is my guest. And whenever I'm trying to figure out what's going on with the Nets in Brooklyn, I call Christian Winfield. Hey, Chris, long time. How are you, my friend? <laughs> I'm doing well, Larry. How about yourself? I'm doing great. Thank you. All right, Christian, take me back. You're watching the game, reporting on the game today, and Kevin Durant comes up lame. What's the first thing that goes through Man. your mind? 
Oh, man, oh, man, not again. I mean, that's the first thing that comes to my mind. Like, I mean, Kevin Durant, he, he just you just want to see him string together 10 straight games without something happening, and we barely get to five, and he bumps legs with Trevor Ariza going up for a layup and misses both free throws right after. And that was the most concerning part right there because he could get down. You know, guys fall down all the time. When Kevin Durant misses two free throws in a row, you know something's up. Um, immediately after checks out of the game, uh, Nets rule him out with a, with a quadriceps injury. Um, you know, they're, they're saying, they, and it's tough, right, because Jeff Green says he doesn't think, think it's anything serious. It's probably day-to-day. Steve Nash comes out and says, I have no idea. I don't think it's severe, but I don't know what it is. Um, and as we've seen in the past, when players get hurt, you know, the Nets will give it a diagnosis like today. They called it a thigh contusion or a quadriceps contusion. And now we've got – we, we don't know what exactly that means or what kind of timeline it is because the last time Kevin Durant got hurt, they said it would be at least two games and that turned into 23, right? So I, I think now we're, 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 it's crunch time with the Nets right now, only 15 more games in the season. James Harden's been out. Um, now Kevin Durant is out again. Um, Kyrie Irving tried down the stretch, couldn't come up with a, with, a, with a big shot down the stretch. And this is a loss to a Heat team that did not have Jimmy Butler or Victor Oladipo, you know? So you can say, hey, the Nets didn't have Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, but you know, the Heat didn't have their two best players either. Came down to the stretch, uh, came down to the last bucket, and damn, out of bio, it's a tough shot. So, tough loss um, on a couple different fronts. Number one, they, they had an opportunity to win that game if Kyrie Irving makes one of the three shots down the stretch that he misses. Um, and now there's another just cloud of uncertainty. How long is Kevin going to be out for? When is James Harden coming back? And the Nets just can't seem to shake the injury bug. It's been the theme all season. You know, for and it's real crazy because I remember we had a conversation earlier where we asked, "Can you have too much talent?" Right, and now you look and they and since our conversation, they brought in Blake Griffin, who's on right. a you know who's on a no back to back rule situation. Right, uh, Lamarcus Aldridge, they brought him in. He has since retired because of of a heart condition, and our prayers go out to him. And right. so you know, it's funny when you think. You think you have a lot of players, and then as it turns out, you don't have as many players as you think you got. <laughs> I mean, and that's kind of what happens when you when you swing for the fences, or as I, I like to say in Brooklyn, they shot for the stars and and they got them right. You go yeah. get Kevin Durant, you get Kyrie Irving, and you pull off a huge trade for James Harden. Well, what happens when one person goes down? What happens when two people go down? And in the Nets' case, it's been more than that. You know, they they're depth of the guard position has depleted in, in, in the matter of seconds. You know, no Tyler Johnson who has been out for a few weeks now with a knee injury. Chris Chioza breaks his hand, um, and now he's out. We don't know if we're going to see him for the rest of the season or if he returns for, for some type of playoff push. But that's your depth right there. You've got Landry Shaman out there running, you know, pseudo point guard minutes, and he's not really a point guard. He's more of an off guard who shot the lights out today. I mean, 30 points, 7 to 12 shooting, I believe, from three. But he's not your true point guard, and Neither is Kyrie Irving. You know, he's a, yeah. he said it today. He said, hey, you know, whatever guard you guys want to call me, I'm out there. But he's a, a score-first type of guy. Um, and, and you're kind of see, seeing what happens when the Nets don't have James Harden, who's out there setting up the offense for everybody. And when Kevin, goes, Kevin Durant goes down, it's a completely different team. Um, it's tough. But, you know, that was kind of what we were talking to players about today. And they're like, you know what? It's, it's kind of been the theme all season. We have to be able to control what we can control. Um, and right now, they, they just can't get a, get a handle on – and I guess it's kind of a theme throughout the entire league, right? Everybody in the Heat had players that are – I mean, LeBron and Anthony Davis missed I don't know how much time on the Lakers. Uh, Jamal Murray just had a terrible injury yeah. not too long ago. It's happening all across the league. So, 
I mean, we, we've, we've talked to with Steve Nash about this, is this year has really just become a war of attrition, and whoever can, you know, stumble their way to the finish line is going to be the one that wins. And, you know, hopefully it's not a long-term thing for Kevin, but right now nobody knows what to expect tomorrow if he has to get an MRI. Do we know when James Harden could get back? Yeah, you know, um, I would be inclined to say he's going to return at some point this week. Um, I was able to watch uh, pregame the other day, uh, him just warming up and just the shots he was able to get up. Mind you, he had a hamstring strain, but this is a guy who's on the floor pregame shooting shots from just inside the Nets logo at half court. And I mean inside, closer to half court, not closer to the three-point line. Mm. He's, he, he's got range, and he made quite a few of those. Um, and then he hit some shots from each hash mark. And, and I, I let that serve as a barometer for me because while I was out in L.A., uh, covering the game, covering the Lakers game with them on the road. Kevin Durant was rehabbing from a similar hamstring strain, and him shooting threes out there, he couldn't even – his shots weren't touching rim. He was shooting air balls out there. And wow. that was me knowing, okay, Kevin Durant still has a ways to go. KD missed, I don't know how many more games after that point, maybe 16 or 15 more games. But James Harden is out there practicing. He's hitting shots up. Um, Sean Marks came and said that he was a couple days away. Um, I, I think we see James Harden return this week. He's traveling with the team again, even though I, I think we could all assume he's not going to pass up a free trip to Miami. Um, <laughs> I, I think he'll be okay. And I think the team, I think Nets fans should be able to see him at some point this week, though I'm not sure which game it's going to be. How close? Of, now, I heard a couple of broadcasts. Is there a possibility of Spencer Dinwiddie coming back in the postseason? I mean, it depends on who you ask, right? If you mm-hmm. ask Spencer Dinwiddie, I mean, right after he got injured, he said he's coming back. Right. And if you ask Steve Nash every step of the way, he said, hey, I don't want to, you know, rain on Spencer Dinwiddie's parade, but let's keep it realistic. Now, when you ask Sean Marks, which is what we had a chance to, to speak to not too long ago, actually a day after LaMarcus announced his retirement, Sean spoke to everybody, and he said, hey, I would never bet against Spencer Dinwiddie, right? Spencer Dinwiddie is a guy who, you know, I think he got injured his last season in college before he came out. Uh, and got drafted. He's a guy who kind of had to beat a lot of odds to get where he is right now. Uh, and he's attacked his rehab pretty hard. He's posted pictures and videos on Instagram every day, and you can see the clear progress. But when you just look at how much time is left, there's only 15 games. He hasn't come back. He hasn't rejoined the team yet, so he's still in L.A. rehabbing. And that's just him getting the functional movement of his body down. Then they'll have to condition, and that's like to ramp their players up. So that conditioning process is going to take a while. Then he's got to figure out where he fits in this whole mm-hmm. scenario. Remember when he played his last game, he was still playing with Karen Vert and Florian Prince and Jared Allen. Wow. And he hasn't even really gotten a full practice in with these guys. He's been in Los Angeles the entire time. So I'm having a hard time believing Spencer Dinwiddie makes a return. I mean, when you're thinking about we're talking about him returning in the next month or two, right? Like that just seems a little bit unrealistic to me. But – I mean, if you if you bet against Spencer, you've probably lost in the past, and I wouldn't put it past him. I, I just think it's a tall order to ask. And then on top of that, how effective can he be in these spurts? I mean, we know what Spencer's done in the past. He's been a six-man-of-the-year candidate, but he's got to really relearn a lot of things now that he hasn't really been playing with this roster. Uh, I, if I was a betting man, I wouldn't bet on him coming back, but – I mean, as Spencer likes to say, stranger things have happened. So <laughs> if he can make his way back, I think he'd help them out. Yeah, there's no question. He, he definitely would. Christian Winfield, The Daily News, is my guest. You're listening to The Larry Hardesty Show here on 98.7 ESPN. Christian, as you've watched Steve Nash over this season, and let us, sure. for this discussion, assume that everybody's healthy and ready to go in the postseason. Do right. we have some kind of an idea or a pattern as to how deep his bench may go? Because, you know, normally in the postseason, coaches tend to shrink their bench. I mean, right. he's got so much talent here. Is Are there people who 
just aren't going to play? Are there? I mean, how much of how much of a role will Jeff Green play? How much of a role will Blake Griffin play? I mean, you know, when you look at, I think there are times when they're actually better when they have the smaller lineup. So sure. I'm I'm just I'm just curious as to if we have an idea, kind of just from how he's coached so far, as to what he might do in that situation. Sure, and just to give you some context, I mean, Blake Griffin started tonight, right? Mm-hmm. Why? Because the matchup was Bam out of bio, and Blake probably gives you the best chance at defending a, a, a hybrid type of center like that who can shoot mid-range jump shots and also dominate on the inside as well. Um, everything that I've learned from watching Steve Nash points me in the direction of him making his rotations based on the opponent, right? So if you're playing against, against Joel Embiid, you're probably going to see DeAndre Jordan trying to match as many of those minutes as possible. Um, and it also depends on who's healthy, right? I mean, if you don't have anybody on the roster, if, you, if you're still missing James Harden, then you're probably going to see a lot more minutes from Andrew Shaman. If you're not seeing Kyrie Irving, you're probably going to see Chris Chioza if his hand is better. Um, everything that I've seen from this team is an indication that he's going to try to match his lineup. He's not going to pen in anybody just because of their name or just because they might be the best option on paper, it's okay, well, how can we match up best with whatever the other team's best weapon is, right? If that's going small ball with Jeff Green, I don't think we'll ever see Jeff Green DNP. I think he's just got to go into play every game that he's healthy because, number one, he's so versatile. Number two, he's been reliable from three. Uh, And number three, you know, guys kind of call him the the voice of reason. He's a veteran. He's been around for some time now. So I think he's always going to be a part of the rotation. I think guys that are kind of on the fringe are going to be guys like, like I mentioned, Tyler Johnson, Chris Chioza, Landry Shaman, even though he's probably solidified his role in the rotation now because he's been on fire recently. Um, TLC is a guy who's got something to prove because he's been very inconsistent in his play on the floor. Um, and DeAndre. DeAndre's, DeAndre's a guy who, remember, once Marcus Aldridge came, DJ got benched for five straight yeah. games, right? Yeah. So it, it all depends on who they're going to be matched up with. Um, but I do think that Steve Nash has his core guys of who he's going to go with. I think that's obviously a big three. I think that Joe Harris is always going to play. Jeff Green is always going to play. Um, I think Steve likes what Nick Claxton brings at that five because he's so versatile. He can switch on to, to guards and he can still defend the paint. Um, and we saw Blake Griffin today just giving you different looks of being able to, to guard that, that, that hybrid five and also be a stretch five threat. I don't believe Blake Griffin hit a three today, but he, he has the threat of being able to do that. So the Nets have a lot of options, and they pride themselves on that versatility. And to answer your question, I think their rotations are going to be largely based on what team they're facing in the in a, in a given playoff series. I like Nick's Cla- Nick Claxton. He he is yeah. be, when he starts when he gets more playing time, he's going to be he's going to be phenomenal. <laughs> yeah, I think for him too, uh, he's got to fill out his body a little more, right? Because you want him to play that five, but you can't play him against. I mean, imagine trying to put him on the floor against a guy like Steven Adams, right? That's, yeah. that's game over. He's got, he's got to get a little bit bigger. And on top of that, he's got to get a little bit more consistent from three. That's something that he if – you, if you ask him, he's a guy who loves to shoot the three. But number one, in, in Brooklyn, you've got so many other three-point shooters that if he shoots a bad three, he's going straight to the bench. <laughs> um, and number two, you know, playing with James Harden, he's a guy who likes to set guys up. You know, if, you, if you've got a center that can finish around the rim, James Harden's going to find him a mile away. And I think Nick knows that's his game. If you ask him, he says, hey, you know, James Harden's expanded my game. And that's probably the biggest case for Harden on the MVP uh, race, right? It's, okay, well, what do your teammates say about you? And every teammate says the same thing about James Harden. You know, he makes my life easier. If you ask everybody, that's exactly what they say. And that's kind of what you've seen without him. Guys are having to work harder for their shots, and they're not getting those shots with the same ease. So, I know I kind of got off track with your Nick Claxton praise. He's great, but – He's kind of been as great as James Harden has made him because if you look in some recent games, his numbers have been down. 
And there's no coincidence. His numbers have been down because James Harden hasn't been on the floor. Christian, last thing. What What is the – and this is weird. What is the philosophy of, of the Nets staff going to be on these final games? Do they – obviously you want to – try to have the big three play more than seven games, sure. <laughs> but, sure, right. but the priority is getting to the postseason healthy and you're going down the stretch. Now, do you, do you just try to get them in a couple games or do you just say, listen, they're great players. They'll be okay. When, when we, when we hit the playoffs, they'll know what to do. I think we're leaning towards the latter. I mean, you ask all these guys the same question. Do you care about the number one seed? And Kevin Durant said it. He came out and said, hey, it's not like we have the number one seed written on our whiteboard and circled. You know, we've got bigger fish to fry. And for them, that, that, those fish are, are those stars and those players that haven't been healthy. I mean, you got another guy that goes down today. It's kind of been like that all season. Somebody comes in, somebody goes out. James Harden's probably coming in, but now the Nets are probably going to be super cautious with how they're handling Kevin Durant because, I mean, if a guy goes out with a hamstring injury, comes back, I and mean, a couple of days later he's got a quad injury, I mean, that's not the best, I mean, look for him. Uh, but to your, to your question, I, I think it's more so just going to be about biding their time and making sure everyone's healthy because you've got to bet on the money. I mean, think about it. You're paying Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving each. I, I'm pretty sure they each make at least $40 million annually. So if you want to get the most out of those guys, you brought them here not because you wanted to get to the playoffs, but because you wanted to win it all. If those three guys aren't healthy, you're not going to be able to do that. And Bruce Brown said something really, really interesting when asked about this. He said, you know what, um, I am – he basically said he's super confident that the Nets, if fully healthy, can walk into Philly and steal a game on their home court. Why? Because you've got three of the best scorers in the NBA, three of the best clutch performers in the NBA. And I think that's really what it boils down to. Can they get to the playoffs healthy? If so – you're happy with that talent. If you've got to play, what is it? If your road to the finals is going to be the Bucks, the Heat, and the Sixers because you don't have that number one seed, well, you've got three jokers and everybody else maybe only has one. And that's what they're betting on. Can they get those three jokers healthy and on the floor so that they can figure it out on the fly? And I think that's what it's going to have to come down to. I know I said last question, but I lied. Um, <laughs> from your standpoint covering the NBA, What's been the biggest sure. surprise to you about the Knicks this season? Ooh, you know, that's a great question because I love to, to check in on them from time to time. Even though I don't have too much time because this next season has been a whirlwind. Um, I wouldn't say I'm surprised that they're playing so well because I thought immediately the second they signed Tom Thibodeau, that was the best decision anybody made this offseason. And I was right. You can see it shift in from night and day from last season to what they had this season. But I will say this. I was not expecting R.J. Barrett to come out and have the season that he's been having. I mean, he's a, seems to me like he's a completely different player, and he made a believer out of me because when he got drafted last year third, I watched him from time to time. Obviously, I was covering the Knicks, so I, I'm the Nets, so I didn't have too much time to watch him. But, you know, I, I, didn't, I wasn't necessarily sold on him being a franchise player or, or the face of a franchise. But, I mean, the way he's been able to play this year, you could tell that he's put the work in and expanded his game. Um, Julius Randle's also been playing well, but – I wasn't expecting RJ to take that next step so soon. Um, I was expecting the Knicks to come out and be a competitive team. I was expecting them to, to lock down on the defensive end. Um, but I wasn't expecting RJ to be that, that, that guy that they could rely on. He's become that this year for sure. So I, I, I'll eat my words on that one. RJ is, RJ is taking more steps than I thought he would. Yeah, he's, he's surprised a lot of people. <laughs> There's no question about yeah. it. He really yeah. has. Christian, keep up the great work, my friend. We'll talk soon. Thank you so much, Larry. My pleasure. Christian Winfield of the Daily News on the Brooklyn Nets. This is 98.7 ESPN.